This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah we'll be starting from chapter number 22. Babu ma jaa fi tuka'ati rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the chapter about the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam leaning on something. The first hadith qala haddathana Abbas ibn Muhammad al-Duri qala haddathana Ishaq ibn Mansur عن إسرائيل عن سماك بن حرب عن جابر بن سمرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم متكئاً على وسادة على يساره جابر بن سمرة رضي الله تعالى عنه relates that I saw the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم leaning on a pillow to his left <coughs> the next narration قال حدثنا حميد بن مسعد قال حدثنا بشر بن المفضل قال حدثنا الجريري عن عبد الرحمن بن ابي بكر عن ابيه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الا احدثكم باكبر الكبائر قالوا بلى يا رسول الله قال الاشراك بالله وعقوق الوالدين قال وجلس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وكان متكئا قال وشهادة الزور أو قال قول الزور قال فما زال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقولها حتى قلنا ليته سكت <coughs> أبو بكر رضي الله تعالى عنه he relates excuse me أبو بكر رضي الله تعالى عنه he relates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said Should I inform you of the largest of the major sins or the most egregious of the major sins? They said, of course, O Messenger of God. He said that associating partners to Allah and disobedience of the parents. Abu Bakr says that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was sitting and he was leaning back. And then he said, وَشَهَادَةُ زُورِ False testimony. Or he said false words. And then Abu Bakr says 
that the Messenger of Allah continued to say that over and over again to the point where we said that if only he would stop. So to understand a couple of the concepts here, I didn't explain the very first narration because I'll explain that after we go through the, uh, the remaining hadith as well. But uh, this particular hadith has some extra topics pertaining to it, relating to it, so I thought I could explain it here. <clears throat> Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, is a sahabi of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa His name was Nufayr. He was called Abu Bakr um, because at the, uh, at the time of the battle of Ta'if, Abu Bakr had um, basically climbed up onto the wall when they were trying to get into the fort. And um, he had put down a bucket for people to be able to climb up and get over the wall. And from that point on forward, the Prophet ﷺ called him Abu Bakr. So it was actually an endearing term, and it's something he used to like going by because the Prophet ﷺ gave him a distinct name. Because Bakr literally refers to a bucket, a dal. Now the hadith itself, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ says, that I, should I inform you, meaning the language is, shall I not inform you? Meaning that this is the Prophet ﷺ posing a question, do you want me to tell you about the most egregious of the major sins? So of course the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they replied saying, of course we do a messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned two things in this particular narration, then I'll explain the concept of major sins in just a minute. But the two things the Prophet ﷺ mentions here is number one, associating partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second thing that he mentions, even though in just the translation for the sake of brevity, I translated it as the uh, disobedience of the parents. The word al-aqqu in the Arabic language, it actually refers to um, causing harm to someone or violating someone's rights, whether it be verbally or physically. So uqukul walidain is not so much disobedience of the parents because what that does is that casts a very wide net and it leaves it a bit ambiguous that what are we exactly talking about and particularly in today's day and age in today's day and age where parents complain about uh, children uh, not being very good kids I guess you can say children not being very respectful. Um, what needs to be understood is that there are an equal amount, if not greater complaints about parents not being responsible. Um, so this actually works both ways. And when we just summarily or generically translate it as disobedience of parents, <clears throat> it creates a very confusing situation for a lot of people who might be in a situation where they have irresponsible or even abusive parents. And then a lot of times they, they have this idea that religiously I'm obligated to do whatever my parents say, whether it be right or wrong, whether they are just or unjust, or even if they're oppressive in their behavior. And that's deeply problematic because that's not in line with the Islamic principle at all in any way, shape or form. But rather, uqukul walidain means the disrespect of parents is probably a better way to put it. The disrespect of parents. Because <clears throat> if we're talking about someone's rights, someone's rights given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then violating that person's rights, one thing that has been said down by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very clearly in the Qur'an is that there should be a certain amount of um, cordialness, there should be a certain amount of dignity or respect that is extended to one's parents. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so we draw a line. 
And we have to be particular and careful where we draw the line. So we draw the line at zulm. We say, we, you know, parents have rights over their children, but not to the extent where they can oppress their children or violate the children's rights or abuse them. However, at the same time, when it comes to just jo- when it comes to showing and extending a certain amount of respect to one's parents, that is something that is substantiated within the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that what if someone's parents are forcing them to do shirk, to associate partners to God, to Allah? Obviously, there's no obedience of the parents here, right? And ma laysa laka bihi ilmun. Like this is not substantiated in any way. They are outright, blatantly, completely incorrectly demanding of their child to commit shirk. Allah says, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا Do not obey them. But Allah does say, وَصَاحِبُهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Still engage with them, still interact with them in the life of this world in a respectable fashion. So now the Qur'an is telling us that a certain amount of respect and courtesy should still be extended. And so <clears throat> the uqukul walidain can better be translated as being disrespectful um, or dismissive of one's parents. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned these two major sins here. Why did the Prophet ﷺ first mention these two sins? And why did he mention them in this particular order? There's deep profound wisdom in the words of the Prophet ﷺ. We're all familiar with the hadith of Jawami'ul Kalim, the eloquence and the gift of the Prophet ﷺ to very comprehensively state things. Because the Prophet ﷺ is basing this off of the Qur'an, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, not one but multiple places, right after mentioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sole exclusive right to be worshipped, then Allah talks about being you know, kind or gracious with one's parents, being uh, well-mannered with one's parents, right? So this is mentioned together, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ mentions it together. Another very deep, profound wisdom about this is that one is, even though they both, of course, once Allah and His Messenger recommend something, it has spiritual benefit to it. But generally speaking, if you look at it from the surface, one is very spiritually or theologically iman-related, and that is not associating partners with Allah, and the other one is pertaining to uh, human interaction or social conduct and behavior. And that first and foremost begins with the very first two human beings um, that a person knows, and that is one's own parents. Then, the, So the narration goes on to then mention that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was saying this, he was leaning back. That's the relevance to the chapter. So it's showing the Prophet ﷺ was leaning back against a wall or something while he said the first two things. And the reason why it differentiates it, it says, وَجَلَ رَسُولُ He was sitting and he was leaning back. It's to differentiate that then the Prophet ﷺ sat up. He was leaning back and he said, And then the Prophet ﷺ sat forward. And the next thing the Prophet ﷺ said, zur, which means false testimony, lying under oath, lying in situations where someone's rights might be tied to one's testimony or one's word. And then in another narration, or the Rawi says, or he said, zur, false speech. In either way, it's pertaining to the same thing, and that is falsifying information. Falsifying information that is particularly relevant to someone's else, someone else's rights. That that will impact or affect someone else. 
falsifying that type of information. He sat up and he said it. And then the Prophet ﷺ with emphasis continued to say, zur, zur, zur. And the Sahabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, some narrations actually mention that he said it seven times. He said it seven times. In this particular narration, that is a very well-known narration, the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahabi says, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and this needs to be understood because it doesn't translate over to English too well. The Sahabi says that the Prophet ﷺ continued to say this, repeat this over and over again, to the point where we said, when he says we said, meaning that we thought to ourselves, we were thinking, لَيْتَهُ sakata that... Meaning, it literally translates as, if only he would stop. But again, وَالْعَيَاذُ billah, They're not basically saying as what that means in English, like we would say, I wish somebody would stop talking. That's, a, that's, that's very disrespectful when we say that in the English language. They're not saying that. In the Arabic language, when you say, لَيْتَهُ sakata. Later litamani wataraji watawakuri. Right? Later basically gives the meaning and the benefit of, you know, a positive meaning. It has a positive connotation. Alright? And so what late later husakata refers to here is that they're saying that I wish the Prophet would relax, like he would take it easy. Because they saw the Prophet and his face was getting red and his voice was starting to quiver and shake, and they didn't want the Prophet to cause himself any stress. Some narrations also allude to the fact that this was towards the end of the life of the Prophet. So he was a little bit older, his health was starting to give him a little bit of trouble now, and so he's voice started to crack and his face started to really turn red and he's kept saying it over and over and over again and they basically were saying that laytahu sakata that laytahu istaraha that I wish he would relax I wish he would take it easy because we could tell that it was causing him stress right that it was it was starting to really physically exhaust him the way and the emphasis and the emotion with which the Prophet ﷺ was stating this. So that's what it makes reference to and that's what it refers to. Some other uh, commentators have also said that when they say later husakata, they're actually saying that we were so shaken up. To see the Prophet ﷺ, every word out of his mouth is important. Every word out of the mouth of the Messenger ﷺ is extremely, extremely important. But then think about what it says when the Prophet ﷺ chooses to not only address something, number one, but he started by addressing it with a rhetorical question, like asking a question, Right? He's asking a question. That means this is tawqeed, emphasis in speech. It's a rhetorical function. Then number three, he's using a very strong adjective or description, akbarul kabair. Right? Akbarul kabair. When you do idafa of the derivative towards the very same derivative, it emphasizes the meaning. Right? Aswadu uh, sauda. Right? The darkest of the dark, the blackest of the black. Abiyadul bayda. The whitest of the white. Right? In that sense. So, akbarul kabair. So, that's the third degree of emphasis now. First of all, anything he says is important. Number two, he posed a question. Number three, he's using very descriptive words, right? <clears throat> Number four, the Prophet ﷺ physically demonstrates the importance of it by sitting up. And number five, at sakraru tawkidun, right? The most basic and powerful form of emphasis is repetition. So now the Prophet ﷺ is repeating himself. So the Sahaba say, 
when he asks the question, then he used that type of verbiage, right? And first of all, the Prophet ﷺ is talking, so we're paying attention. Then he asks a question. Then he uses that type of language. Then he sits up. And then he keeps on repeating himself. We were already freaked out. We were freaked out. That whatever he's telling us not to do has to be the worst thing any human being could ever do. Falsify information. And then when he kept saying it again and again and again and again, it just... We felt like we were going to die from just the fear, the, uh, how overwhelming it was. Because thinking about every single time and every single moment, I might have lied about something. And it just started to cause like a panic attack for us. So we, we said we wished that he would please stop because it was too overwhelming for us. Right? And that's basically what this language means. A little bit of a side comment. <clears throat> There's of course a very lengthy discussion here about what are major sins. Um, and of course there's different books. Uh, Imam al-Dhahabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, has probably the most well-known book uh, when it comes to the topic of major sins. Kitab al-Kaba'ir. Um, that is a very important read uh, for you know any Muslim, any believer. It's something that is very important uh, to just be aware of overall and be cautious in regards to these types of things. Uh, the other thing about it is that what is the definition? What does kaba'ir, major sin, even mean? So very briefly, very summarily, that there are sagha'ir, sagir and kabir. Sagira and kabira. Sagira we often translate as minor sin. What's, very, what's kind of ironic about that, scholars say that there is no such thing as a minor sin. Meaning that the second that you think a sin is minor, it just became major. Um, so thereby, there is no such thing as a minor sin. Kind of interesting. Um, but nevertheless, it is affirmed. It is affirmed. That's, that's just nasiha. But technically speaking, it is affirmed in the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ that there are minor sins and major sins. What is the definition of them? There are tons of different definitions that different scholars give. Imam al-Haramain al-Juwaini rahimahullahu ta'ala, he says that uh, major sins are anything that there is a specific punishment um, that is tied to it. Uh, another opinion says that specifically major sins are those types of sins where the Prophet ﷺ uses, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the words like haram and ijtinab, which means forbidden and stay away from. Like there are warning, there's warning type language that's used for it. Some say that if there's a specific punishment that's mentioned for it. Some say that it's anything that fundamentally erodes people's confidence in a person would be considered a major sin. Right, that erodes people's confidence in the trustworthiness of that particular person. And then, of course, one of the very interesting thoughts that's presented to us is that even if something is particularly a minor sin, if it's done bil istimrar, if it's done continuously without any type of cause or caution or concern, then it basically does evolve into a major sin. And the differentiation is only all sins are ma'asiyah and disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should try to stay away from all of them and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness from all of them. The only real distinction that the Prophet tells us, and again this is very kind of, this can be integrated or this is reconcilable, that the Prophet whenever he talks about a particular act of ibadah or worship and says that it erodes or erases a person's sins, 
Then the scholars state that that refers to the minor sins that they automatically get washed away when you pray or you read Surah Al-Kahf or you fast, etc., etc., right? Um, and major sins require specific repentance, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. But that should be such a constant part of a person's life that that issue in question really should not come up. Wallahu ta'ala alam bisawab. The next hadith, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْبَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا شَرِيكَ عَنَ عَلِي بْنِ الْأَقْمَرِ عَنْ أَبِي جُحَيْفَةَ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَمَّا أَنَا فَلَا أَكُلُ مُتَّكِئًا This is again a very rare instance where you have a qawli, a verbal hadith, the words of the Prophet ﷺ in a chapter that is generally describing the Prophet ﷺ, so he describes his own conduct and his own behavior. That Abu Juhayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ said, as for myself, as for myself, فَلَا أَكُلُ مُتَّكِئًا I do not eat leaning against something. Alright, and I'll be explaining this in um, the a uh, couple of chapters later when we talk about how the Prophet ﷺ used to actually eat food. Right, so we'll get into more detail over there. Over here, it'll just the discussion will fall out of place. <clears throat> Hadith number four. قال حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن مهدي قال حدثنا سفيان عن علي بن الأقمر قال سمعت أبا جحيفة يقول قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا أكل متكئا. Abu Juhayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I do not eat leaning back against something. Hadith number five, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يُوسُفُ بْنُ عِيسَى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا وَكِيعٌ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِسْرَائِيلَ عَنْ سِمَاكِ بْنِ حَرْبٍ عَنْ جَابِرِ بْنِ سَمُرَةَ رَضِيَ ta'ala anhu قَالَ رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam مُتَّكِئًا عَلَى وِسَادَةٍ وقال أبو عيسى ولم يذكر وكيع على يساره وهكذا رواغي الواحد عن إسرائيل نحو رواية وكيع ولا نعلم أحدا روا فيه على يساره إلا ما روا إسحاق بن منصور عن إسرائيل That's just a little commentary that is mentioned in one of the um, versions of the text about the chain of narration and some of the texts of the hadith. So this particular narration, Jabir bin Samura radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the, I saw the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam leaning on a pillow. Mutakin ala wisadatin. And this is different from the first narration that we saw where he was leaning on a pillow that was to his left. So the pillow was on his side and he was leaning on it. So the difference would be that if he was leaning on a pillow, that could also mean that he was leaning back. Uh, against a pillow, but ala yasari he means that the pillow was off to his side, so he was leaning over to his side. Now to explain a little bit of the concept, Imam Tirmidhi rahimullahu ta'ala brings this particular chapter to demonstrate the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, how did, there's a specific chapter about how he used to sit, but he's just talking about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ would recline, the Prophet ﷺ would relax at times. And so he was seen multiple different occasions, and there is there are a lot of different narrations where the Prophet ﷺ was seen leaning on a pillow that was on his right, 
leaning on a pillow that was to his left. He was leaning with his back against a wall or the mimbar that the Prophet ﷺ was seen sitting in this manner, in this fashion. And so Imam Tirmidhi is just demonstrating the fact that it is not a sign of arrogance in and of itself to just simply lean against something when you sit. Yes, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was such that when he would sit, most of the time he would not lean against something. And as we're going to read in future narrations uh, in, in a coming chapter, and we saw uh, kind of a glimpse of it here that for instance when the Prophet ﷺ would be eating food he wouldn't lean back and eat food because that's lazy and also a sign of arrogance so the Prophet ﷺ a lot of times just generally speaking the Prophet ﷺ a good posture so when he would sit down he would sit straight when he would talk to people he would be attentive he, you know but at the same time the prophet sallallahu did relax he did recline he would lean over to a pillow towards the end of the life of the prophet sallallahu abdullah bin mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu was actually called his, one of his nicknames was sahibul wisada sahibul wisada which means kind of like mr pillow and what that meant was sahibu wisadati nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam cuz abdullah bin mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu would always have a pillow under his arm Everywhere he went, walking, he had a pillow with him. And he was also called Sahibu Na'alain, right? Mr. Shoes. Again, Sahibu Na'alain Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The man who takes care of or carries the shoes of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he was oftentimes seen where he had a siwak in his pockets, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's toothbrush, right? And the Prophet sometimes would put it, would actually sometimes take it into his amama. But... He would, Abdullah bin Masood would often seen with this toothbrush in his pocket, he'd have shoes in one hand if they were indoors somewhere, and he'd have a pillow under the other arm. And the Prophet ﷺ never asked him to do this. This was just who Abdullah bin Masood was. That's just who he was, right? So he was always serving the Prophet. ﷺ, and so that's why he used to carry a pillow towards the end of the Prophet's life, so that whenever he sat down, he'd put a pillow so the Prophet could relax a little bit. Because in older age, he needed to be able to relax. So it just demonstrates the fact that the Prophet would, you know, lean against something or relax if the situation was not necessarily formal uh, or he wasn't eating food or something like that. The next chapter, <clears throat> chapter number 23, Babu Maja'a fi ittika'i Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter about the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam holding something for support, leaning on something while standing, like utilizing some support. Alright? There are two narrations in this chapter, and they demonstrate the same facts. Let's read through them. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَمْرُ بْنُ عَاسِمْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حَمَّادُ بْنُ سَلَمَ عَنْ حُمَيْدٍ عَنْ أَنَسِ بْنِ مَالِكٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ شَاكِيًا فَخَرَجَ يَتَوَكَّأُ عَلَى أُسَامَةَ بْنِ زَيْدٍ وَعَلَيْهِ عَلَى أُسَامَةَ بْنِ زَيْدٍ وَعَلَيْهِ ثَوْبٌ قِطْرِيٌّ قَدْ تَوَشَّحَ بِهِ فَصَلَّى بِهِمْ أَنَسُ بْنُ مَالِكٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ relates that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was ill, he was not feeling well, he was physically sick. And this refers to the, towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the last week of the Prophet's life. And he says that he exited, he left his home while 
leaning on, holding on to Usama ibn Zayd. This is the son of the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ. So he was kind of like a grandson to the Prophet ﷺ in the sense of what he meant to the Prophet ﷺ and how, he, how much he loved him and cared for him. So he was holding on to Usama for support and the Prophet ﷺ was wearing a Yemeni printed shawl and he was wrapped up in it and then he led the Sahaba in prayer. This is a narration that we've seen before because of the garment of the Prophet ﷺ that's mentioned. But nevertheless, it shows us here that the Prophet ﷺ was seen walking while holding on to someone else. The second hadith, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا Muhammad ibn Mubarak قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَطَاء ibn Muslim al-Khaffaf al-Halabi قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا جَعْفَرُ ibn Burqan عَنَ عَطَاء ibn Abi Rabah عَنِ الْفَضْلِ ibn Abbas رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى عَنْهُمَا قَالَ دَخَلْتُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي مَرَضِهِ الَّذِي تُوَفِّيَ فِيهِ وَعَلَى رَأْسِهِ عِصَابَةٌ صَفْرَى فَسَلَّمْتُ عَلَيْهِ فَقَالَ يَا فَضْلُ قُلْتُ لَبَّيْكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ قَالَ أُشْتُدْ بِهَذِهِ الْعِصَابَةِ بِهَذِهِ الْعِصَابَةِ رَأْسِي قَالَ فَفَعَلْتُ ثُمَّ قَعَدَ فَوَضَعَ كَفَّهُ عَلَى مَنْكِبِي ثُمَّ قَامَ فَدَخَلَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ قِصَّةٌ Fadl bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. This is the eldest uh, child of uh, the Prophet uh, of Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the uncle of the Prophet This is the father was the eldest of Abbas's children. We know about some other of Abbas's children like Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma and others. This was the eldest of his children. He was a Sahabi, he was a Muslim. And also when the Prophet was in uh, Arafah on the day of Hajjatul Wida, the farewell pilgrimage, Fadl was the one riding on the animal with him in Arafah. Alright, and there's a very interesting story about that as well. Um, so Fadl bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma says, I entered upon the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he was in the sickness that he eventually passed away in. And there was a kind of like a small yellow cloth that was tied to his head, almost like a bandana we talked about yesterday. And so I said salam to the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet sallallahu said, O oh, Fadl, I said, yes, O Messenger of Allah, meaning I am present, labbayka ya Rasulullah, I am present, O Messenger of Allah. He said that tighten, that make this uh, wrap on my head more tight. Restricted, meaning tighten it up on my head. And Fadl says that I did so, and the Prophet ﷺ, then he sat up and he put his hand on my shoulder and he used me to basically for support to be able to stand up and then he entered into the masjid. And then the narration says, or one of the versions says that, وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ قِصَّةٌ And then there's a lengthy story in the actual original hadith itself. So a couple of things about this particular narration. This cloth that was tied to the head of the Prophet ﷺ, some say Isaba is synonymous with Imama. So this could be referring to 
that turban of the Prophet ﷺ that was a little bit yellow in color, and that demonstrates the fact that there is a precedent for even a yellow turban, the Prophet ﷺ wore it. Or this was kind of a smaller cloth that the Prophet ﷺ had tied to his head, and he had specifically tied it to, to bring a little bit of relief to his head because he had a very uh, bad headache, he had a splitting headache. Um, so he told Fadl to tighten it for him, and that's what Fadl did. And again, it demonstrates the fact that the Prophet ﷺ used Fadl as support to be able to stand up. And then he stood up and went in the masjid. And the longer story that's mentioned here is the Prophet ﷺ goes into the masjid and he sits on the minbar and then he speaks to the people and he addresses the people, um, which is another narration that we can talk about another time. But one of the very remarkable things that the Prophet ﷺ says in that particular narration is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ asks the sahaba, is there anything that I owe to anyone? Are there any unsettled accounts? Is there anything that I need to give to anyone? And it's actually very fascinating because the Prophet ﷺ is so serious and so sincere, right? Not like us, we say kind of like, oh, I'm going out of town, so if I've done anything, forgive me, please, thank you, Jazakallah, Assalamualaikum. Conversation, Assalamualaikum. And then you walk out the door, so they can't say anything. Actually, right? That's it, no, I'm gone, right? No, no, the Prophet ﷺ was so serious and so sincere in what he was saying and how he was saying it, that one sahabi actually raised his hand and he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, you actually owe me three dirhams. Because we were at a place, and the Prophet ﷺ said that, I'm not trying to argue the case. I honestly just don't remember it. I'm shocked that I don't remember it. He was very sick. Right? This is the illness in which he passed away. So he said, just whether it's because of the illness or whatever, the exhaustion, the fatigue, the fever, I cannot recall. Can you please remind me? Right? Not to argue it, but I just, I don't remember. It's kind of shocking. So can you remind me? And he said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. We were walking together, and a poor person, a beggar, asked for some assistance, some help. And you didn't have anything on you. And the Prophet ﷺ never, The Prophet ﷺ would never turn anyone away without giving them something. So you turned to me and you said, do you have something? And I had three dirhams. And so I gave it to you and you gave it to him and you said you would pay me back later. So you owe me three. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ asked someone to go and get three dirhams and pay him uh, on the Prophet's behalf. And the muhaddithun actually comments on this. Saying that, that's kind of, right? At first when you hear, you're kind of like, okay guy, right? What was this dude's problem, right? Can't let three dirhams go? No, he actually wanted that blessing from the Prophet ﷺ. And he actually cherished those dirhams. And never used them for anything and held on to them. That the Prophet ﷺ gave me this. And another sahabi raised his hand and he said, Oh Messenger of Allah ﷺ, I actually owe you three dirhams. And then similarly, the Prophet ﷺ said, I don't want it, but he said, O Messenger of Allah, please accept this on my behalf and you give it in sadaqah. And then he gave it to the Prophet So again, this chapter demonstrates the fact that the Prophet ﷺ at times, on certain occasions when he would walk, 
he would hold on to someone for support if the need was there. And this again in no way, contra- because he mentions this specifically because earlier we've seen about the manner and the method in which the Prophet ﷺ used to walk. And he used to walk very swift, very quick, very sure-footed. <coughs> so the Prophet ﷺ, when the need arose, whether it was due to injury or illness or old age, he did lean on someone for support and that is permissible. The next chapter very, very uh, interesting chapter, is بَابُ مَا جَاءَ فِي أَكْلِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. The chapter, and some of the versions actually say بَابُ مَا جَاءَ فِي صِفَةِ أَكْلِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ The chapter about the description of how the Prophet ﷺ used to eat. The first narration قال حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن مهدي عن سفيان عن سعيد بن إبراهيم عن ابن لكعب بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنهم رضي الله تعالى عنه عن أبيه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يلعق أصابعه ثلاثا one of the sons of كعب بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه كعب بن مالك رضي الله عنه is the w- very well-known uh, sahabi, companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He was an Ansari, he was a poet, um, and he, his name also specifically, even though that is not you know, the only place where his name comes up, he was one of the people who gave the bay'ah amongst the Ansar, the oath of allegiance amongst the Ansar to the Prophet ﷺ. And some narrations even mentioned that he was the first one on the night of bay'atul aqaba al-thaniyah, the second oath of allegiance given by the Ansar, that he was the first one on that night to give that oath of allegiance. And he was very young at that time. But his name also does come up in the incident following Tabuk. And so Ka'b bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu he says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would lick his fingers three times. Now, this narration gives the idea that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would lick his fingers three times, like each. However, there's a little bit of an issue. So first let me go ahead and explain a couple of concepts that are just automatically to be understood here, or maybe they're meant to be explained here. First and foremost was that the Prophet of Allah his own habit, his own practice, was the fact that the Prophet used to eat with his hands. The Prophet used to eat with his hands. Now what about something that you're not able to eat with your hands? How would he eat something like that? Would he eat cereal with his hands as well? The Prophet did not eat cereal. <laughs> Alright? Bid'ah. No, so... <laughs> no, 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 no. Right, so, but the pro, it just wasn't a part of their culture that the way that they would typically eat was that they, they, the types of food that they ate was bread, it was meat, um, that was very common. Even rice and things like that were actually not a very common part of their diet at all. Um, so rice and meats were very common parts of their diet. Um, similarly, sometimes they would have, you know, uh, a certain type of, we're going to read the chapter about it, maybe some type of like idam, what's called in the Arabic language, like some type of what we call curry or vinegar or something to soak the bread in. But again, it was not to the point where like the bread was like floating around in it. First of all, the form of that curry or gravy or whatever that they would have was actually a little bit thicker and they, it used to be very minimal. 
right? They actually wouldn't waste it. They wouldn't use a lot of it. It would be very minimal. And so even if bread was put in there, it would soak it up to the point where they could still pick up the bread and eat it with their hands. So that's how the Prophet ﷺ, or how he used to eat and what he used to eat. And of course, dates, right? And some other types of fruits. So these were the common part of the diet. And when they drank something, it was water or milk, but then they just drank it out of a bowl. Right, So that was what the diet of the Prophet ﷺ primarily consisted of. So the issue of using a utensil never really came up. Um, and also the fact of the matter is, Ibrahim al-Nakhi, uh, uh, who is one of the tabi'un, he is a student of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he actually comments um, on this particular issue. And he says that, Trying to find uh, the exact quote from him, just... I can't seem to find it exactly, but nevertheless, um, it was a quote from one of the salaf that basically comments specifically about the issue of eating with hands, that the Ajim, the non-Arabs, were more in the habit of using utensils. The using of utensils was something that was very strange to the Arabs um, to begin with. So it was not something that was very commonly seen uh, amongst the Arabs to begin with. It wasn't a part of their culture at all. So number one, because of uh, the types of food the Prophet ﷺ used to eat, he would eat with his hands. Number two, it was not a part of the culture of the Arabs, so it was not something the Prophet ﷺ, you know, grew up with or was familiar with or even comfortable with for that matter. And then the third thing is, is that there is something to be said about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, did allude to it being um, a sign of humility in a very humble way um, for someone to be able to eat. Um, and so the um, eating with the hands, number one, like I said, was something that the Arabs did. Number two, it was the types of food that they ate. And number three, there was a certain humility that was in eating with hands. So the Prophet ﷺ used to eat with his hands. Um, the second thing that needs to be understood here because it's going to come up, so I might as well just explain it here and then we can read through the narrations because there is a lot of redundancy. That the second thing is that the Prophet ﷺ, just because he ate with his hands, he didn't just basically dig in with his hands um, and eat without any type of, um, you know, etiquette. That wasn't the case at all. First and foremost, could be a meaning. The Prophet ﷺ would only eat with his right hand, right? He would not eat with his left hand. 
So that narrows it down. So he would eat with his hand, but he would eat with his right hand. Second thing, or the third thing now, is that the Prophet ﷺ used to primarily eat using three fingers. He used to primarily eat using three fingers. And the three fingers that are mentioned in some of the narrations were the thumb, the pointing finger, and the middle finger. That the Prophet ﷺ used to eat with these three fingers primarily. And again, that goes back to the types of food the Prophet ﷺ used to eat. Because either he was eating a piece of bread, or the Prophet ﷺ was eating some dates, right? And so the Prophet ﷺ didn't like the idea of just kind of like grabbing your food like this. Right? And then eating out of the palm of your hand. It's just, it's inappropriate. Right? And it's not very, yeah, it's, it's, it's not very sophisticated. It's not very respectful. Not to yourself, not to the food, and definitely not to the people around you. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't like eating in that way. So he used to eat with three fingers. However, however, on a couple occasions where the Prophet ﷺ was eating something that was kind of loose, like some grain or something, the Sahaba do say that they saw the Prophet ﷺ eating with all five of his fingers. Because if he was eating some type of grain or something where it couldn't really be grasped in three fingers, right? then the Prophet ﷺ did use his hand to kind of scoop it up or to eat with his hand. But when he was eating something like dates or a piece of bread or something, then the Prophet ﷺ didn't like just kind of like... You know, he didn't eat like that. The Prophet ﷺ would eat in a very dignified fashion and also take small bites. The Prophet ﷺ used to chew his food properly and he would eat, you know, in a very sophisticated manner. <clears throat> so this particular... And then when he was done eating, that's the third thing, when the Prophet ﷺ was done eating, he would lick his fingers. But what needs to be understood about that is the Prophet ﷺ did not lick his fingers in the middle of while eating his food. Because again, that's not a very nice habit. That again is not very appropriate. It's not good manners. Particularly because as we're going to read, the Prophet ﷺ did not, he used to like sharing food with people. And so then licking your fingers while you are eating your food, and then putting your hand back into the food, was something the Prophet ﷺ said, no, it's distasteful. It'll make other people uncomfortable. Just as the Prophet ﷺ prohibited drinking water straight from a container. He said, pour it out and then drink from a bowl or a cup. Alright, so he would lick his fingers, but he would lick his fingers after he was done eating the food, not in the middle. Alright? Now the, third, the, the fourth thing is that as we're going to read about, the Prophet ﷺ, he used to eat sitting on the floor. He used to eat sitting on the floor. And we're going to read about that. That the Prophet ﷺ didn't... At that time, again, eating on the floor was something that was more so, again, of an Arab practice, even though start, the usage of tables and things like that was slowly starting to become common, at least in the cities. But for the most part, the Arabs, they sat on the floor and ate. But a lot of the, again, the Ajim, like the Persians, they would eat on tables. The Prophet ﷺ used to prefer sitting on the floor and eating. Again, not to make eating on a table impermissible. But again, that was what he was familiar with. That was what his custom was. Number three, it's more simplicity. It's lesser furniture. And number four, the Prophet ﷺ again talked about the humility of it. That there's a humbleness to sitting on the floor. The next thing that it mentions about the Prophet ﷺ and how he used to eat was that the Prophet ﷺ would not lean against anything when he ate. 
the Prophet ﷺ, when he says that he would not lean against any uh, against anything when he ate, that means three things. Number one, the Prophet ﷺ did not sit on the ground like cross-legged. He didn't sit cross-legged on the ground because he said that that makes you very like heavy and lazy. And so you're prone to eating more. So the Prophet ﷺ would sit like in the tashahud position or with his even kind of like squatting. He would eat in that manner. Number two, not leaning against something also means that the Prophet ﷺ would not eat kind of like leaning off to the side. Like on a cushion, kind of like almost half laying down and eating. Right? Because again, the image of that was like how kings would eat. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ said, abdu." I eat as a slave eats, humbly on the ground. Number three, it also means that the Prophet ﷺ would not lean back against something while eating, because again, it's lazy and it leads to excessiveness. So the Prophet ﷺ was not fond of that practice at all. And he did not used to practice it. The next thing is that the Prophet ﷺ, so now we know he used to eat with his hands, the Prophet ﷺ would eat with as little of his hand as possible, right, three fingers, so as to not just be messy with his food and stuff his food. Um, the Prophet ﷺ would primarily sit on the floor and eat, and when he would sit on the floor, the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't sit on the floor in a manner that was like leaning or laying down or being very lazy. And when the Prophet ﷺ would sit to eat on the floor at the same time, he wouldn't see, sit just without anything. He had etiquette. He would go and wash his hands. He would sit down. He would welcome people to come and eat with him. And the Prophet ﷺ used to put down a mat before he ate. So he wouldn't eat straight up off the floor. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So these are just a few things to remember. Now, and of course we talked about when he used to lick his fingers, he would do that after he was done eating, not in the middle of while he was eating. Now after all of that, when you look at this very first narration of Ka'b bin Malik, it gives the idea that the Prophet ﷺ would lick his fingers three times. However, all the other narrations that have this type of verbiage actually say, كَانَ يَلْعَقُوا أَصَابِعَهُ الثَّلَاثِ that al makes all the difference in the world. It changes the meaning from he used to lick his fingers three times to he used to lick all three of his fingers that he was eating with. He would lick all three of his fingers that he was eating with. And Imam Tirmidhi and some other scholars and commentators actually say that is the actual meaning of this narration. Not that he would lick, lick his fingers three times, Right, because that might be excessive and unnecessary, especially the Prophet ﷺ, a lot of times was just eating dry, coarse bread, right? But more so, what it refers to is that he would lick all three of his fingers. Now, going forward, قال حدثنا الحسن الحسن علي الخلال قال حدثنا عفان قال حدثنا حماد بن سلمة عن ثابت عن أنس رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أكل طعاما لا عيق أصابعه الثلاثة. أنس رضي الله تعالى عنه says that when the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم would eat food, he would lick all three of his fingers. The next narration قال حدثنا الحسين بن علي ابن يزيد السدائي البغدادي قال حدثنا يعقوب بن إسحاق يعني الحضرمي قال حدثنا شعبة عن سفيان الثوري عن علي بن الأقمر عن أبي جحيفة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال 
قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أما أنا فلا آكل متكئا أبو جحيفة says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said as for myself I do not eat while leaning and of course we talked about the three meanings of that that he wouldn't sit too comfortably like uh, you know cross-legged or the Prophet ﷺ would not lean over to the side, like lay down and eat in that manner, or the fact that he wouldn't lean back and eat something. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ بَشَّارِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الرَّحْمَانِ بْنُ مَهْدِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانَ عَنَا عَلِيِّ بْنِ الْأَقْمَرِ نَحْوَهُ Similar narrations. He just brings it through a different chain of narrators. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا هَارُونُ بْنُ إِسْحَاقَ الْهَمْدَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدَةُ بْنُ سليمان بن هشام بن عروة عن ابن لكعب بن مالك عن أبيه رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يأكل بأصابعه الثلاث ويلعقهن كعب بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه says that the Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم would eat with his three fingers and he would lick them after he was done the next narration قال حدثنا أحمد بن منيع قال حدثنا الفضل بن دكين قال حدثنا مصعب ابن سليم قال سمعت أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه يقول أتي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بتمر فرأيته يأكل وهو مقع من الجوع أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه relates or he says that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was presented with some dates and I saw him eating them, and the Prophet ﷺ was leaning forward due to how hungry he was. So muq'in means one of two things, either the fact that he was leaning forward because of the hunger, or some narrations say that he was leaning back. Now the reason why, and the leaning back is what most hadith commentators say, that the reason why he brings this particular narration is to demonstrate, because on one side he's already said that the Prophet ﷺ said, لا أكل متكئن, I don't lean back. But the reason why the Prophet ﷺ was leaning back and he ate the dates was because of the hunger and the weakness the Prophet ﷺ was feeling, that he hadn't eaten for so long, that basically physically he had become weak. And so he was leaning back and he had to eat the date while leaning back, because he physically could not sit up. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Couple of things I just wanted to mention before we go forward. Um, some very interesting commentary just overall about some of the issues pertaining to eating and some of the etiquette of eating. Because Imam Tirmidhi just brings a few narrations here to create a general concept or a general image about how we would see the Prophet ﷺ eating food. But some of the other hadith and some of the other etiquette are also very important and very beneficial. The Prophet ﷺ in another narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, the Prophet ﷺ also, there's a hadith of Bukhari as well, that the Prophet ﷺ also talks about that once somebody has eaten food that the Prophet of Allah also mentioned uh, about not only uh, licking the fingers once someone is done eating food but the Prophet also talked about uh, cleaning up the plate once someone is done eating food. So whatever container that someone is eating from 
that again, this is not referring to how like somebody would literally pick up physically the container and lick it. That's not the purpose here, but the Prophet would use his hand to scatter whatever might have been left in the plate or the container, and he would gather it up so as to not waste food. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, إِذَا أَكَلَ أَحَدُكُمْ طَعَامَهُ Whenever any one of you eats food, أَصَابِعَهُ Then that person should lick their fingers, فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِي فِي أَيَّتِهِنَّ الْبَرَكَةِ because a person does not know that in what part of the food there might be the blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That where there might be the blessing and how much blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there might be in some little grain of food. And that's similarly why the Prophet in another place makes mention of the importance of even cleaning up and finishing whatever's in your plates and not just leaving kind of like food scattered and just tossing it. Um, so as to not waste food, number one. And number two, also because the Prophet is saying, you don't know where the barakah is. Another thing that it mentions about the Prophet ﷺ in terms of how we used to eat food, that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, he never ate food uh, sitting uh, on any type of you know furniture uh, that was specifically used as like dining furniture. That the Prophet ﷺ, it was called khiwan. The Prophet ﷺ was never seen doing that. Um, nor was the Prophet ﷺ ever seen eating um, out of like small plates. And the reason for that is again, we talked about how the Prophet ﷺ would sit on the floor and eat. And that was a part of the humility of the Prophet ﷺ. And the other thing about that is that the Prophet ﷺ would not eat out of like small, small individual plates for two reasons. Number one, again, that was more of a sign of extravagance. Number two, it was too impersonal. It's not whether the Prophet ﷺ was eating at home, then the focus was family. And so he liked everyone to sit and eat together. And or the Prophet ﷺ was eating with the Sahaba, then it was an opportunity for brotherhood. So again, they would sit together and they would eat. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ used to like to eat together. And so he didn't uh, like eating in these small plates and dishes. And the other thing was, again, that was just more... Uh, that was just more you know, items that somebody would have in their house. Just more extravagance. Then they would have like these different, different designs of small dishes and different things like that. So the Prophet ﷺ never was seen eating out of something like that. The Prophet ﷺ, like we said, he would not sit and eat um, on any type of furniture. He would sit on the ground. But at the same time, it was a habit of some of the Bedouins uh, that sometimes he would just sit on the ground and just eat on the ground itself, they wouldn't put anything down, right? The Prophet ﷺ didn't, when it says he sat on the ground, doesn't mean just sat on the ground and ate. But the Prophet ﷺ would actually put down a mat. And the mat the Prophet ﷺ used to put down was made out of leather. It was called a sufra. It was called a sufra. And the Prophet ﷺ used to put the sufra down. It was specifically made out of leather so it could be cleaned and washed. And then so the Prophet ﷺ would put that down and eat from there. And the reason for that was the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا سَقَطَتْ لُقْمَةُ أَحَدِكُمْ فَلْيُمِتَ عَنْهَا الْأَذَى وَلْيَأْكُلْهَا وَلَا يَدْعَهَا لِلشَّيْطَانِ The Prophet ﷺ said that if any one of you then drops some food onto the mat, 
not onto the ground because then it's problematic. But if any of one of you drops some food onto the mat, then remove anything that needs to be removed from there. And then that person should go ahead and eat that food and not leave it for the shaitan. It's an authentic narration. The hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In another narration, the Prophet said, فَإِنَّكُمْ لَا تَدْرُونَ فِي أَيِّ طَعَامِكُمُ الْبَرَكَةِ Because you don't know in what portion of your food Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the blessing. What else is very uh, particularly interesting is why they called a sufra a sufra. Why they would call the, the mats that you put down to eat food on why it's called a sufra? Comes from the same root as the word safar, traveling. Right? And why is safar called safar? Why is safar traveling called safar? Why is why is that? Anybody? Right. Lianahu isfaran li nas. Isfar also refers to the morning time when this when it starts to get bright outside. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Asfiru bil fajri fa ajri." That praying in the second half of the fajr time, where it starts to slightly get bright outside, because there's more reward, right? So basically, when things start to get exposed, so they used to call traveling safar liyannahu isfaran liyakhlaq nas. It exposes people's character. Traveling exposes people's character, and they call the sufra. Sufra because it exposes people's character. How somebody eats, how they conduct themselves on the table, on the food mat, tells you a lot about somebody. Alright? So that's why the Arabs used to refer to it as the Sufra. There's a lot of other very um, interesting thoughts and ideas that are mentioned by uh, many of the different scholars um, in this particular issue of how the Prophet ﷺ used to eat food and what his exact mannerisms were, um, Imam Ghazali rahmullahu ta'ala in his ihya at length talks about um, the different, um, you know, the different benefits of the simplicity in terms of eating food. He, Imam Ghazali rahmullahu ta'ala talks about how, you know, eating in this manner of the Prophet ﷺ, actually is very helpful in implementing the actual sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and that is to eat less and to eat minimally, to eat very, um, to eat healthy, to eat minimally, that this actually helps and contributes um, to accomplishing that goal when you start implementing um, the different habits of the Prophet ﷺ in terms of how the Prophet ﷺ ate, in terms of the simplicity and the humility with which the Prophet ﷺ used to eat. The last thing that I'll uh, mention here, it's kind of interesting, Abdullah bin Abbas, Abdullah bin Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala anhu one time, he was sitting down to eat, and somebody brought him a spoon. Somebody brought him some utensil. Mila'aqa. Somebody brought him a spoon to eat with. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam." Allah has honored and dignified the human being. This is fine. Right? This is fine. And he ate with his hands. And um, somebody asked him one time like, that what if somebody finds, this is very interesting, he says, what if somebody finds it, and the reason why I bring this up, of course, these things are mubah, these things are open, 
You can eat with, you know, a utensil if you'd like. There's not a problem with it. But it's just the thought process. Because of we sometimes have our minds so made up about something. Right? We have these predispositions. We have these assumptions. We think that we know, you know, um, we, we think that we're so correct in a lot of the different ideas that we have. And it almost creates a sense of arrogance. So somebody kind of commented saying that, well, what if it's kind of detestable or distasteful? What if it's distasteful to somebody that you're eating with your hand? That you are reaching into the dish and eating with your hand. Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah says, then is, why isn't it distasteful to someone that when you eat with a utensil, he says, when I eat with my hand, my hand doesn't go inside my mouth. I don't like jam my hand in my mouth and then pull it back out with my saliva on it and then stick it back in my food and jam it back in. But he goes, every time you put that spoon in your mouth and it comes back out and you got all your saliva on it and then you dip it back into the food, he goes, isn't that nasty? Right? So just a little food for thought. <laughs> and that's it. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashur wa la ilaha illa anta nashafir wa